0: Hi guys, welcome to my show, My Steps to Sobriety, on YouTube and as a podcast, with me, your host, Stefan Neff, and today I've got a fantastic guest, Suzanne Carpenter. Suzanne is a woman who, like me, has had a hidden secret and has kept that secret away from from prying eyes for a long time. Until one day, just the right question by the right person triggered an avalanche of thoughts and a journey that no doubt is unbelievable in its beauty. And I'm so privileged and, and humbled today to, to get to know Suzanne better. Suzanne, welcome to my show.
1: Well, oh, Stefan, thank you for having me on here. I'm glad we get to connect and have this conversation.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Right. Oh, wow. Uh, You, I know your story already. And the listeners out there think, Ooh, 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 who is she? Who is she? Tell us more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Who were you when you were 18? Who were you when you started off? You didn't, you didn't become what you are now uh, when you were younger. And normally, I start the story at, at, at age six, but it's typically a, a prima ballerina or, or something along these lines. So I think, I think I've, I've moved that question a bit forward towards 18, when we sort of start to get an inkling of who we want to be.
1: Oh, that's a really good question, even to start us out. So when I was 18, I was about four months into my freshman year in college. And Which meant I had graduated from high school, and I was playing college-level golf. So I have the mentality of a competitor, which is important. But at that time of my life, I was in the beginning of a transition or a flip um, where I was leaving the home, and I had a childhood that was not tumultuous by any means, but necessary to get me where I am right now but the way I was raised was to be like that old movie, Pollyanna, the little girl that has a smile on her face and is just happy about everything. I was taught that having emotions about social situations or how I was feeling weren't really encouraged. They had to get stuffed down. So what was happening was I was conflicted with wanting to show up and be a good girl which was what I was taught to be Pollyanna-like and smile. But I had this raging set of emotions and feelings and thoughts that I didn't really know yet how to process. And it wasn't a time of life where I understood that you could control your thoughts and you didn't have to think about what you were thinking about. Even though as a competitor, I could focus my thoughts on the golf course. Mm -hmm. So in that time, now I am 6'2" which means I am incredibly tall, and I was as a junior high schooler, so my body did not fit into the norm, and I began this this pattern that lasted well through adulthood, but in the college sphere of competing, it got worse. So... That's when nobody knew at this time and no one knew until about 10 years ago that I had an eating disorder, but transitioning from high school, wanting to lose the weight so that I could fit in so I could look more like the pack, more like the girls on the golf team became this vicious cycle of wanting to do good, which meant showing up physically the right way, just not having any idea how to do this. That's where I was at 18. Wow.
0: Well, you've labeled it already in eating disorder, but you wouldn't have labeled it then that. For you then, how was a normal day? How, was, how did you try to uh, improvise, I guess, without the lack of, of the tools that you have got now? What did you do to make you feel good and to ward off the pain?
1: Well, okay, so I would ward off pain with getting a good golf score or words of affirmation that somebody else's outside opinion that I was doing well mattered incredibly to me more than my own internal reward system, so then I was more like I felt like an underdog inside my head all the time. I was never you know it's like if you 're not first or last, I had always felt that way, so there was always this mean girl voice chirping away at me. And at that time, no, I would have never said that I had an eating disorder ever, but I would look at the disordered patterns that my peers had. And now in college, there's many more to pick up on. So if one girl was abusing laxatives and she was a thin little thing, I was like, oh, well, maybe that'll help. Maybe I'll try. Or another girl would talk about how she didn't eat anything all day long as a um, Badge of of honor. And so all these different ideas were coming at me as strategies that I could employ to get control of this thing that I could not get control of at the time.
0: Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh well, it is. It is what it is. Because when you're 18, you listen to absolutely everyone than the people that you should listen to, um, mm-hmm. and especially amongst your peer group, you know, they they come up with, hey, I don't know, cut your cut your left arm off, that drops weight. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Yes. And yes. it's ah, uh, mm-hmm. but it is what it is. That is mm-hmm. what we are around that time. You say you had a, a a by no means bad childhood. Were there the virtues or principles that were drummed into or drummed into you? You were saying that you were supposed to be the happy, smiley child, and that is the 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 thing to strive towards. How did your parents deal with problems? Did they enjoy alcohol, or did they? Oh, alcohol. Did, what was their, their, you know, how did they model to you without saying it? What did they do? What did you pick well, up from them?
1: In that time, now, when I was 21, my parents divorced. My dad um, left my mom for somebody else. So I think that when I was going through high school, uh, there's, there was this uh, unawareness of what they were doing because you're so self-centered really at that time of your life. So I'm trying on the fly to think, what did I watch them do during that time to soothe themselves? And no, it wasn't, it was not alcohol. Although we, we drank that was never really the issue. It was more of where could they pick up control and then to find pleasure I guess with those two I think I saw them they were golfing or we belonged to a country club at the time and they had a lot of activity with their friends and that was their what I perceived at the time is how they enjoyed their time or they relieved stress there was not a lot of um, really good communication in my house at the time Um, like we were taught more just to to be quiet um, not to use our voice and Again, back to that, just we're supposed to be positive and happy and bringing problems forward was just not encouraged, almost like didn't know how to deal with it. Maybe they had enough of their own problems. It was too hard, which I can empathize with now as an adult. So it's hard for me to answer that for, because I've never asked them, but that's my perception of that.
0: Having said that, that uh, is playing out again and again. I, I, I could have told you a, a virtually equivalent story, minus the country club. Uh, it is we a we don't have country clubs in Germany, but uh, also my there was not so much money in my background. I mean, all blue collar, hardworking kind of of folks. Uh, but the same thing, the same attitude. You don't talk about the problems. You 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 get not taught how to deal with your emotions,
1: mm-hmm.
0: whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And the, the, in my case, there was modeling there towards alcohol, uh, not necessarily in the, in the worst kind, but certainly it was a very powerful tool for my parents to just numb the pain. Mm. So here you were, not really getting the guidance as a younger person, then going to college, and uh, again, a stressful environment in which you want to excel and in which you want to prove yourself. And again, there were no, no role models. Well, there were role models, but unfortunately, with hindsight, the ones that probably you shouldn't have followed, but you Maybe did. So. Yeah. But well, sure. well it's, it was what it was. It's- You know, I I made my own role models and and they were typically kind of what I saw in, in macho films. So there I was thinking, that's how a man looks. That's what I want to be kind of thing. We all, we all do. We all have that supercomputer up there, but we don't have the user manual. So if you press a few buttons and say, oh, that feels good. Oh, no, that doesn't feel good. Uh, And you know, you come up with some kind of version of, okay, that's me now. And you have no idea. And it's just, Mm -hmm. yeah, it is what it is.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So Mm -hmm. here you were. How was your golfing career? Uh, Are you still golfing?
1: Well, that's the funny thing. No, I'm not. Like once I graduated from college, I was ready to be done. And (laughs) then, you know, I started having a family and raising the kids. And it's a big time commitment to be on a golf course away from the littles. And frankly, since I couldn't play at the level I did in college, I didn't enjoy it as much. Uh So it became something that fits fairly common for a young athlete to get so burnt out that they are done with the sport. And frankly, I had so much free golf and free golf gear for so long of my life that having to pay for it myself to hack was no fun. And I it was just a part of my life and I see it for what it was. And I still enjoy being on the golf course, walking with my children because they enjoy golfing and watching them. But it just was a time in my life that I did it well and then I was ready to move on.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. But whilst you moved on with your sport and with your passions and your interests, your coping mechanisms probably didn't move on. They probably were still still the way they were. What was your favorite go-to? oh
1: absolutely food food was my comfort it was my friend it stood in the gaps it filled holes it solved problems it well it gave me and there's a difference there it gave me a temporary break from the stress that i was feeling so when i got out of college i was a little bit like a lost sheep i was i was dating who is now my husband and we had a wonderful we have a wonderful relationship but i wasn't sure where i was headed with my career and that was very unsettling. You know, that little bit of job searching, looking around right out of college and suddenly on your own. And I would use food as my form of comfort. Now, ironically, I didn't turn, my dad was a smoker when I was young, so I, and I didn't like it. So I never turned to smoking and I'm a, I am a rule follower. So I never, drugs and al, drugs didn't make sense to me. And then alcohol had calories. So to me, that didn't make sense to go after alcohol. So even because I had to conserve calories somewhere, but I will tell you, in that time frame, I was up to 226 pounds. So be having an eating disorder did not make me rail thin. In fact, a lot of people who are bulimics, actually you wouldn't know that they have an eating disorder because they carry a lot of weight. So I would never be able to throw up. I would use exercise as a way to purge or to erase my food. And that time of my life between finishing college and soon after I married my husband, was when I was very miserable and my weight ballooned. And now in hindsight, I can see how much I was using food as my comfort source.
0: You're talking to someone who is struggling at 10 o'clock at night, not to rate the fridge. Uh, I know exactly the sensation you receive when you fill your tummy, it is Unfortunately, it is the same dopamine that gets checked out uh, when I drink, as well as when I hit the fridge. And it is, in my case, it is definitely an addiction. It is, I've just switched over from alcohol, which I can control really well now, which is not an issue. But there are still underlying issues that even now seven years into my journey that I have not dealt with um, or not am not dealing with efficiently enough that i still feel the craving but now towards food mm-hmm. and it is a, it's a warm well-being it's it's oh yeah and it it can be a break you you yes. will not say at work i mean don't don't get me wrong guys out there i mean what we do as addicts we we actually have benefits from it if in the good old times if you said look i'm tired i need a break at work People looked at you and, said, "Come on, pull your socks up." And if you would say, "Hey, I have a smoker now, OK, I'll come with you." And sure. so indeed, so the, the cigarette was a means of giving you a break, equally actually just stepping out out of my busy workplace, um, and literally, just five minutes meditation would do wonders but that's not really so accepted so but if i say look i'm a bit hungry i go to the to the uh, to the lounge and uh, just get me myself a muffin oh yeah, yeah that's fine so that's it's
1: acceptable mm-hmm.
0: exactly so it is bizarre so it is mm, there are i'm very intrigued and very interested in what happens to you because it it hits so many people around me uh they it's all about the tree of addiction the, if you, I'm not sure if you know that beautiful African picture uh, where you see a, a tree, a big trunk and from the trunk there are branches coming off and the branches are chemical addiction, eating disorders, gambling, sex, all the other things. And then underneath, under the earth, the roots to it is the trauma, the PTSD, the depression, the, the emotions that are hurt. And it's such a powerful picture and it's so beautiful. And I think that's, that applies for so, so, so many addicts out there. And many of them would be offended if I call them addicts, yet their behavior reflects that. And so eating disorder, no, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much that we are talking about that. Sure. You have got this insight now, but I don't think you would have had that insight even after leaving college. You were in a steady relationship. You were probably trying to be still the girl that smiles on the outside. (laughs) Oh,
1: absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And so what ended up happening is Dave and I, my husband and I, moved um, away from where I grew up and I was happy. And every 10 pounds is a layer of pain. And I was in a state where I was so happy with him. He's a very good man. I married somebody who's extraordinary. 24 years later, I still know that. And I was able to, ironically enough, starve myself long enough to get the weight off because I didn't need food for covering up pain because we were so happy together. I didn't need this layer on me to protect me from him. I could let him close because he was safe. I could let him in. And I didn't have to do any emotional work yet. (laughs) I had enough youth and discipline and willpower, which is a law of diminishing returns, I now know that, but at that time to go and lose 80 pounds. I lost it the wrong way, and that getting that weight off, I still saw myself as a heavy girl looking back in the mirror. So I still had my mean girl, she was still just as loud. I hadn't solved that problem, I had just had long enough to get the weight off. Now I had a new problem, which was how am I going to stay here? And that's when the starving and the binging really started to amp up, and I didn't. Know a different way. I wanted to, but my way, I was giving life 200%. It felt like it. I definitely was there at 100%. I was doing the best I could. I wanted to be a good person, and I could get away with doing this type of eating to keep my body looking this way because I was trying to quiet the mean voice. That's what I want. I wanted that mean voice to go away. I wanted the confidence. I wanted the bold. I wanted the assuredness. I wanted to have a voice that was compelling that somebody wanted to listen to. I wanted to make an impact in this world. I wanted to make a difference. And that voice, if I could just get it to shut up, that would have solved my problem. And that's what I spent a lot of years stuck in until I was asked that question. (laughs)
0: beautiful 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 the mean girl boys Ah, Mm -hmm. i have got that same girl sitting in my head it dresses up as a boy and uh (sighs) it is but it's it's a bitch it's an absolute bitch Mm -hmm. and it is only now some seven years down rehab actually even the first five years, this bitch was absolutely hammering me every time. It would, for a long time, I would drive uh, in a driver's seat. My, my son would be sitting next to me, and suddenly I would jerk like that, as if someone has hit me in the stomach. And he said, are you okay? And initially, he didn't realize what was going on until I opened up to him and said, look, I had a flashback. To some stupid thing that I did or said or whatsoever, thirty years ago, forty years ago, twenty-five years ago, and yet it hit me so viscerally in the gut. It was brutal, brutal to a degree. It was uh, like a like a like a sign of PTSD essentially, mm. uh, and it uh, it this it took some some hypnotherapy. And it took some, uh, some counseling for me to actually gain that insight to realize, hang on, this is, what are you doing here? This was 25 years ago.
1: Mm-hmm. Why
0: the hell is that coming back to you now? And even more importantly, why do you care what yeah. happened 25 years ago? Yet our, our brain that it comes out, <laughs>
1: yeah you know and there was a long while Stefan, that what you're saying there that i thought because i struggled because i had such a hard time that those things disqualified me like oh you're not quite on the perfect spectrum so you're not really going to be able to make the impact and the difference because you got those imperfections over there once i learned that's exactly what qualified me And that forgiveness is possible and that the person I had to forgive the most was myself and quit dwelling on it. And that I had permission to do that. And if somebody kept pulling those old things into my present, those people weren't for me anymore. Those were some really big things that turned how I looked at that. Like, No, I'm qualified because I wasn't perfect, because I came through it. I'm qualified because I'm not dwelling on the past anymore. I mean, when we had little kids, they were some of the best teachers to me. If they would say, mama, I'm sorry. All I wanted for them was to let it go because we worked through the consequences and for them to resume being joyful. And I wanted to be a part of watching that. And once I realized that was the truth for me with people I do life with as well, you said you're sorry, move on. Quit bringing it up to the future. People want to see you shine. They want to see you happy. They don't want to see you suffering. And when I realized that was true, that helped a lot in getting that voice to stop talking. Or at least telling it, shut up. You've got to be quiet. You don't get to talk anymore.
0: <laughs> and that's the mindfulness, isn't it? Oh, mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. And I would say 99% of the time, I can muster that, uh, that insight, that emotional maturity to actually talk to that voice and say, bugger off. From now and then, when you're in the middle of something and uh, it can sneak up on you. It has maybe quiet shoes, quiet, quiet shoes, and suddenly it's there.
1: I think that's where like the daily practice of a morning routine that you almost have to, in my case, every day, remind myself of those being the true things. The old wants to still come up. And every day I have to like remind myself of these as like, right, right. I like, I forget when I'm sleeping.
0: Excellent. Excellent, 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 excellent. I've written this book, My Steps to Sobriety, and in it I, I talk so much about the, the micro habits of the the daily rituals of the those daily things that you need to put into action. And whilst I'm writing about it, and whilst I'm trying to do it, sometimes life just overtakes me. And mm-hmm. when I don't do them, it is amazing how quickly you end up back in square one, isn't it? It's yes. brutal, brutal. Yes,
1: and so. that's where, that's where Stefan, that's where I said I was, the reason I mentioned I was an athlete, that that discipline of showing up to a sport, to practice, to take ownership, to realize you have to be the one to do it, to control your thoughts there, I still goof up my morning routine. So let's not think that I got this thing all worked out. But I think that the discipline of being a young athlete is something that's helped me to apply principles that will serve me more, that I, I would, I'm willing to do what it takes more often than not, because I know how important it is.
0: A girl is doing what she wants to do. A woman is doing what she has to do. Oh. And so you have grown up, girl. <laughs> you have That's grown up, awesome. and it's some, some part of you. <laughs> some parts. <laughs> some well, some the parts. other parts, I've got the other parts in me as well, there. So they, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the first 50 years of childhood are really the hardest. Oh, I know.
1: there you go. <laughs> you yeah, got it.
0: That's right. <laughs> oh, shoot. Wow. So, okay. So, you were still improvising. You were still yo yoing it in your emotions. You were still at times white knuckling it. Uh, the, the discipline, the, the conscious effort that you put in there shines through in between your words. When did it become clear to you that enough is enough? When was this moment that you realized hang on you were referring earlier to a to a question that someone yes. asked. yes
1: well Tell so i have four, i have four kids i have cannot believe i have a 20 year old son it's just unbelievable <laughs> i have an 18 year old daughter and i have twins a boy and a girl that are 13. So it was about nine or ten years ago. Now, I mean, I I never even told my husband about how I was treating my body, like he that I would starve and exercise to outrun my four. And I mean, I dodged that like everything. Um, my form of purging was was over exercising, and he traveled a lot. And so I could restrict calories all day. And then, you know, if we went out for a hot date or something, I'd eat a normal size dinner, which is kind of a bulimic mentality of binge, binge, restrict, 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 binge. So he he was able to not notice. So I kind of, this is a little difficult to describe because I haven't figured out my pattern of words for this yet, but I was... I was unaware aware that I had a problem. I would imagine maybe like an alcoholic that doesn't know they have a problem and somebody points it out and you're like, ah, well, nobody had pointed it out at all. So I had stuffed it down so far that it wasn't really even in my brain. It had been a part of my whole life. It's how I adulted. It's how I did this. So I, I didn't really think about it a lot. So So somebody says, so you say you would die for your kids, but would you change for them? And it was like, in an instant, a feeling, a thought, an emotion of something resonated where I went, "Uh uh-oh. And then I was losing sleep because that question hit me right between the eyes. And I realized if I didn't figure out a pattern of eating and end this, my two daughters were very likely to grow up and have the same mean girl rippling through their heads for their life, and they were gonna have the same fractured relationship with food that I did, that was the enough moment. That's when I thought I could take it for me. I clearly have. It wasn't enough reason to do anything different. I was on no path to do something different until that question when all of a sudden it became illogical to me because I could not stand the idea of that happening to them. And that was, that was the tipping point.
0: Wow. And let's be clear out there, viewers and, and listeners, eating disorders are not a, a, a thing for women, okay? We men are not as bad, but mm-hmm. there is certainly the same thing happening, maybe to a, a different level, and maybe not as obvious but it bloody well is happening, and it can take extremes so whilst diagnosed this, uh, eating disorders are more common uh, in, in, in in girls, your two boys would have had the same the same risks the same the same uh, setup uh, the same biological setup because they would have had your genes and More importantly, now they see you modeling without you saying, hey, this is what you do, but they watch you. So Mm -hmm. they they see what you do and Mm -hmm. it will inevitably, I mean, kids are bloody sponges as far as it comes to observing what is happening around them and then assimilating it. But now you throw in their hormones and their lack of a frontal lobe for the teenage (laughs) years and it's going, wow, and this is how you fuck A a child up royally without you wanting to (laughs) your all desire is to to grow strong beings yet by you modeling your own weaknesses in and not doing something about them because you don't even know that they are there yes that's how the damage happens yes wow so that question when was that asked to you when did Uh someone and who was that person who saw you so well
1: No, it was, it was in a conference. I was at a personal development conference and it was a speaker on a stage that asked it to an audience of well over 5,000 people, but Uh, I heard it as if he was standing right in front of me. This uh, is quite a few years ago. I mean, I, I, like it pierced some part of me and now I didn't do anything about it right away. It was, it was days, a month. It took a long time to be brave about this because I had written this into now I say in one breath, I didn't deal with it. I didn't think about it. I didn't really think about it being an eating disorder, but in the other side of this, it was something I was so ashamed of. I wasn't talking about it at all, but it was something I was so ashamed of. It's like it was stuffed so deep down in me. I never planned to talk about it, so therefore I didn't think about it. It like, it, it just was so stuffed down. I was never going to tell anybody because I decided for everybody else that this was so shameful that, um, if I'd be unlovable, unlikable, I would lose friends. I would be, I wouldn't be authentic, which is something I always wanted to be. I wouldn't be person of character because I had this thing that I struggled with because I wasn't supposed to struggle i wasn't supposed to have problems so suddenly to give birth to this big thing that was that was unimaginable to me so i remember i had to talk to myself a little bit and the next thing i did was journal about it i could practice writing it down and hope nobody saw it and i was terrified somebody would read it but then then i finally reached out to counselors and dietitians to i had to i had to recognize I was terrified because I was doing my best to show up to my life and giving it all. I couldn't imagine doing something different to get a better result because I was doing everything I knew how to do. It was hard to believe somebody could know more than I did in a professional capacity that could stand in the gap and teach me what I needed to know to bridge me to the other side. And then I was afraid that if I reached out and I didn't have it in me to go to the other side, well, then I would be a failure and then I would be unlovable or I would be that person who's, you know, all talk, but never solves the problem. And I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to give up my secret and not be able to fix it and then have people look at me with shame. So I had, Those emotions that kept me wanting to stay in a cage of maybe it's safer over here than it is to take the risk over there because I don't know if I have it in me to get there because I'm already here and this is so hard to get here. I couldn't imagine going further. So that was a tough place to be that I was going to have to be willing to fall on my face in front of people who knew me and jeopardize my reputation.
0: you have got all that beautiful inside it is it's stunning and you have got a lovely way with words uh it it just spells it out so beautifully as a picture Mm. at the moment your mind was still rebelling (laughs) Adam your mind knew there was something it had to do but Mm -hmm. it was resisting and that's that's yeah yeah you, you just it's it's there it's there in there it's it's just it, it that part recognizes your part say, oh hello old friend <laughs> so um, what happened how did you go about it how so, did you as as super mum because you tried to do everything you tried to be the perfect wife the perfect girl the perfect mum the perfect everything. Everything probably on on Facebook. you had a really lovely, lovely uh, things, a facade out, a mask up. So there was all this perfect loveliness, and there was all the turmoil inside. How did you finally go about it and sprinkle your emotions?
1: Well, I I didn't sprinkle any too fast, but I started working with counselors and dietitians. And now the first person I told was a counselor. I, I didn't tell somebody that I knew loved or was close with for the first time. I told somebody I was pain. So I didn't have uh, a really invested relationship with them, but I will, I still remember thinking my bones were going to fall out of my body to tell her. It was just that big to me. I remember the heat on my neck. I remember this, my hair getting wet. I remember, I just remember this heat of telling it and then when I was met with um, love and compassion after I spoke this out loud I'll never forget like it wasn't a big deal to her it didn't shock her the world didn't fall apart so then she started to help me frame how I could expect my husband to respond and in working with the dietitian, she sort of started filling in some gaps that I was missing I didn't want a bad, I wanted to have a lifestyle. I wanted to, ha- I wanted to put this to bed, just like with the alcoholism, you wanted to get that behind you. So I learned a couple of principles that to me made so much sense, because they were based in science. And then with the counselor helping me reframe the emotional side, then I was able to tell him and again, he met me with love and compassion. And like, I oh, couldn't believe he didn't know. And he wished he I didn't suffer so long. It was, you know, it was was ideal, really. And so to this day, he still serves as my guardrails. Like I'm going to always be recovering and I will will have moments where I regress and he helps to pull me through. Like I want to go punish myself and exercise and he'll say, you don't need to do that. You're fine, or he'll, you know, certain things will trigger me stress, and I want to go fill with food, and he'll help me to remember or recognize what I'm starting to do. Because you can't just not eat food. I mean, that's the tricky part. Like I've, I've got to learn how to incorporate it into my life. But it was out of when it became logical to me in a way that I could fuel my body, and feel good. And then I started dealing with some of the emotional reasons that I was eating because I never thought about that because I didn't think about emotions, I was taught not to. Then I was able to start working through some of these things to get to where I am now. But I I never even, to say about the Facebook and the sprinkling, I only planned to ever help me so that I could role model for my girls. But then I was already working in the nutrition space. I was already coaching other people. And then when I realized that I could build out a company or a platform that was Solely the mission was to clear up food confusion for others. It's like the sunglasses that are on the top of your head and you can't find them anywhere, but they're hidden in plain sight. Well, I built my company based off of can I provide ridiculous value in a way that people can absorb it, use it, learn it, feel educated and empowered so they don't suffer as long as I did. It's built in a way that it's like my love letter back to my little girl self. And I'm telling her all the things that I was looking for that I needed, but couldn't find. And and that's how it got me to right here. I never planned to build a company that was based off of something like this, much less speak about it.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. And that's it just shows that, that uh, broken beings can create the most amazing future. And actually, the chances are quite high that they do, because they have been at a point where the pain was so bad that they simply had to learn the right ways to move forward to stop the pain. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, whilst they were broken, they are suddenly, wow, wow beings where you just think, my goodness, wow. And it's beautiful.
1: Oh, one-on-one. I'm thinking about somebody that I remember a conversation we had about the Thanksgiving and she had a very difficult marriage, a very difficult family situation. And I had forgotten this and it took my breath away, but we were talking about why I said, I said to her, can you try really hard next time you find yourself just standing at the counter, eating something, can you try hard to remember to ask yourself, what do you want this food to do for you right now? And she said, okay. And so then the next week when we're working together again, she said, well, I thought about it. And I said, yeah, so what did you come up with? And she said, well, it's absolutely the only pleasure I have in my life right now because my marriage is falling apart and my child tried to commit suicide six months ago and finances are tough. The food is the only thing standing in the gaps right now between misery and what little bit of pleasure I can have. Like mm, forgot about that. That's right. So it's true for a lot of people, and, you know. Like in the feeling spectrum, we're wired to want to feel happy, and so many of us are. We feel so much pain, you know, uncertainty and loss and uh, not measuring up enough, not where you thought you would be. There's so much pain, and there's so many things we can do with with addictions. Like you had rattled off a bunch on the tree. And then society has this way of frowning on it. And then with food, it's similar in that it'll cover up pain. It'll fill a hole. It'll be your friend for a little while. It'll make whatever you're aching for go away. But society doesn't frown on that. You know, like for you to say you opened the fridge at 10 at night and you're struggling with that, people are like, yeah, me too. High five. You know, like right on. Nobody is going to frown on that overeating to fill that hole. That behavior is okay, but the truth of it is we're still left with the same burden and now we have the feeling of regret and calories and our stomach hurts, so we didn't sleep well and shame and we started all over again and the pants don't fit and low self-esteem, low confidence, like it's a terrible spiral that lead to the same place of misery. But when you're in a place that life is hard and our bodies are wired to make us wanna feel happy, and this is socially allowed, I understand why people turn to food, especially since we have to eat the stuff to survive anyway.
0: So true, so true. Having said that, you just used the word food. Uh, Food is really defined as, as stuff you put into your mouth which helps your body, which nourishes your body, which gives it what the body needs. Mm-hmm. and the reality is that 80-90% of what you would what people call food in the supermarket is probably you shouldn't even call that food. it is <laughs> it's rather something else <laughs> yeah <laughs> empty yeah. calories and stuff like that you're quite right yeah. you're so right so true oh wow so i mean there must be so many people out there who just are glued to the seed and are listening to every single breath you take right now in this interview because they recognize themselves so much in that. If they wanted to get hold of you, if they wanted to learn more from you, how would they go about it?
1: Okay, so all of my social handles, Facebook and Instagram, are Carpenter180. My website is www.carpenter180. So you spell it C A R P E N T E R O N E eight zero. So you have to spell out the word one and then it's eight zero. So if you watch me on Instagram, that's where I try and be a role model and show how you eat protein, fat, and fiber, these three macronutrients that turn off hungry hormones, that balance blood sugar. You can have weight loss without hunger, but it's not a fad. You're feeding yourself foods from the grocery store, but they're not chicken and broccoli and boring. Like you see me enjoying this lifestyle. It's me trying to show this is what a healthier relationship with food just looks like. And then on carpenter180.com, the website, anyone can go there and start with seven free days of SOS, which is Sue's on your shoulder. It's a three to four minute sound bite that comes right to the text on your phone. It's audio so that you don't have, it's three to four minutes. So it doesn't take a lot of time comes right to your phone so you don't have to find it. It's simple. And what I did is I exist to clear up food confusion so people can win at losing weight. So I know by the way we learn, if I can give somebody short little segments that come consistently every single day, learning happens, new habits happen, new thoughts about food happen. And I built this, and it's $15 a month, but everybody can start seven days free. I built this so that I can educate on the front end, people can begin to feel better very quickly. Feel encouraged by it's not overwhelming. That way they can move forward. Once I start to get them results, then I start to get into permission to start talking about. But yeah, why are we going after food? You know, like in the beginning, it's what do I eat? How often do I eat? How much do I eat to stop this weight gain? To to maintain my weight? To lose weight? What do I do? But after you're educated enough. Then I can empower. That's where people are doing it themselves and they're moving forward. Then that's when we can get into the emotional part about, but why are we using food as a way of covering something up? What are we avoiding? What are we trying to find comfort for? And that's where I know that I can get somebody onto creating a lifestyle rather than a fad. And But it takes time. It takes consistency. It takes repetition. And that's why I built these daily sound bites. So it's meant to be a subscription. But your, your um, audience can do at the coupon code at checkout for their seven free days, do my steps, and I'll send off four different grocery lists that are so simple that you actually use them. But they're for four different types of stores that, I mean, a regular grocery store, an online grocery store that they could use.
0: Wow. You have created a beautiful system there. Wow. Wow. Uh, uh, That blows me away. Uh, It is because it's sometimes there's so many people out there who are stressed out to the max. They know what they want to do. They know what they have to do. But then even the thought of picking up a cookbook, looking at a recipe and then going shopping for it is too much. Mm-hmm. Or even if you you might come to a point where the, bloody hell, yes, uh, I've even bought it, and it's all in the fridge, but even cooked now, ah, uh, and mm-hmm. it is it's all that, so mm-hmm. I love love the way how you stress the habits and how mm-hmm. to stress putting yourself first, because that's what you're doing is you you, know,
1: Yeah, and when you put yourself first, you would agree with this, I'm sure. When you take care of yourself and you stop the bleeding for yourself, things get better for everybody around you. Like your own personal self-care actually is improving the lives of those that love you, that you love most.
0: So true. So true. Oh, Suzanne, I'm so, so grateful that you spent this time with me today here on my show. I'm, I'm deeply intrigued because you have touched a few nerves, raw nerves inside of me. So I will check you out uh, a bit more closely. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I I am humble enough to say, hang on, there might be something that you still have to do. And whilst you're here trying to be that role model, trying to be out there, trying to to talk the talk and, and model walk the walk, actually Mm -hmm. you're not walking that path are you so it is guys if you if that whole thing struck a bell with you don't hesitate okay it's time for you if if there is this sneaky thought "Hmm, actually i recognize myself here brilliant congratulations to you guys out there you've made a huge step forward of actually recognizing that there is something not quite right And that is the biggest, biggest revelation that can come over you. So congratulations, all of you out there. And and get in touch with Suzanne and and explore your feelings more and, and find ways where that all works, where you can get yourself to that happy, joyful, relaxed person, the vision of the new you out there. It's waiting. It's mm-hmm. waiting, but it, is, it, is, it takes habits and it takes, takes yeah. changing your behavior and you, you, you feel that it is necessary. And I guess Suzanne might have just the answer of how she can get you there. Okay. So Suzanne, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you coming onto the show. Uh, we too stay in touch. There is no doubt about that.
1: My Uh, pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
0: Absolutely, Suzanne. Look after yourself and all of you out there. Look after yourselves and make this world a little bit better with one decision at a time. Bye.